Good evening. It's once again a pleasure to speak to you this evening. As they mentioned, as we said earlier, Jim's not feeling well. When he called me this afternoon, he sounded more horrible than he did this morning. So we know that he's definitely had a hard time with this. We'll begin this evening with an illustration. You may have not gone through this particular one, but it is one in which we can at least relate to as I get into this even further. We'll begin with a typical morning, not any different than the other day. You've got the husband off to work, you've got the kids off to school, the house is yours, the quietness settles in, you're going to enjoy the day. Mid-morning, the phone rings. The number's not real familiar to you, but you think you better answer it because the area code lets you know it's not in this area. You pick the phone up, and the voice on the other side is a voice that you haven't heard in years. It is a family member that you have almost lost contact with because through the years her husband's job has had moved them all over the country and it became almost difficult to find out where they are and keep up with them. But the good news is that which makes you so excited brings a smile upon the face and brings joy for the rest of that day is after all this time not being able to see them and very few times of the years to communicate with them, she tells you they've got a vacation coming up, they've planned it out, they're coming to see you. You, the joy is all over. You can't, you get excited. You call the husband at work if you're able to and tell him what just happened. You're excited. You finally have got to finally get reunited again, reacquainted with that individual whom you've known and loved for years. You haven't seen and communicates a little. They are coming. She's told you the date. You get when the husband gets on the kids, you tell them again what happened. You get all excited. You begin to plan what you're going to do when they arrive. You've already told her that we're not going to go out to eat when you get here. You've traveled enough. When you get home, get here, you can take off your shoes and relax. We'll, I'll fix dinner. We'll be ready to go. As the days get closer, you get everything prepared. You've checked everything so many times. The family's getting tired of you. You're all excited. You can't wait. You've replanned the meal. You get out the best china. <laughs> You've got everything ready. The day arrives. The excitement is in the air. The electricity is filling. You can't wait for them to show up. Mid-morning. Phone rings. First thing through your mind is, oh, they've, they've got turned around in the direction I gave them. They just won't know where we're at. You pick up the phone, hey, where are you at? So I hit you in. We are not coming. The job won't allow husband to come. The trip is off. You have gone from here down to here. You have lost it. The joy is gone. The sadness, the tears fill your eyes because in the back of your mind, what you're let down most badly and not coming is not being able to see them. But all that preparation you've made, that meal that you're cooking right now that's going to feed all those people, you feel like, what a waste. You're going from extreme high to an extreme low. Now that illustration may not fit exactly if we'd say exactly something has happened to you in your life. But at the same time, we can truly say all of us have experienced in our life those moments of sheer joy. When we are on top of the world, you couldn't get any happier than we are at the moment. Something comes along and just snatches that out right out from under you. We're down in the dumps. 
You've gone from that high to that low. And when you think about it for a moment and look back over when that happened to you, sometimes the circumstances brought it on and there was nothing you could do about it. It's something unforeseen that you were not looking at that caused this to go from one extreme to the other. But also at the same time, when that's happened to you, you look and realize, I did this to myself. <laughs> I've got nobody to blame but, but me. I'm the one who brought me from that high down. When we're realizing the fact we're going to admit something that we don't want to admit but we know is true, we mess up. We mess up terribly. And it is a simple fact of life that is played out every single day that we live on the face of this earth. We will mess up. It may be wrong decisions. It may be poor judgment calls. These things are way on our mind. These are things will prey on our mind. We'll wonder, we'll second guess ourselves. We'll look back, trying to reanalyze again and again what caused this to happen, what made me mess up. And always one of the things that come to our mind is that simple little phrase, to err is human. <laughs> Which means, in that case, with that statement, most of the time we have to admit our humanity is showing. We mess up. Let me share with you a story. This story is familiar to us. It is a story of an individual who messed up. Whose life was at the highest of highs. And in one swift moment. Went down as low as any human being could ever possibly find themselves. It's not a pretty story but it's one which we can all learn as we look at what happened to that individual and realize it's happened to us and how do we get through it. And that person's example becomes one for us. Everyone knows this individual. He is one of my most favorite characters of the Bible. For one simple reason. He is the most human person you'll ever meet in your lifetime. He is truly a great individual, but he is one whom we can all relate to. Everybody knows the Apostle Peter. This man whom we all love and adore. To me, I say he's my favorite of all the uh, disciples or apostles because he's just human. <laughs> he's Peter. And we all look at him and realize when we look at him, we can see the same thing happen in our lives day after day. But this evening, the story that I want to talk about begins here in the 26th chapter of Matthew, beginning with verse 31. There the scripture simply says, Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the fold will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him and says, Though they all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. When you look at that, that is Peter. Peter's self-confidence. Peter's bold statements. 
You can imagine for a moment in that upper room as this scene is played out. Not only has Peter said, Lord, if they all do it, it'll never be me. And you can almost for a moment see Peter draw out his sword and wave it around the room as he emphasizes the fact, I'll die for you. I will defend you. You know, part of that might have been true because what did Peter do in the garden? Whip out the sword and cut the servant's ear. He really meant, and part of it was true. He meant what he said. I'll defend you. I'll die for you. You know, you'll what you're saying is wrong, Lord. How dare you tell me that? And when we look at that scene, we have to admit for a moment, we have to admire Peter's courage. We have to admire for a moment his conviction. You know, come whatever happens, he's going to be standing right up for the Lord forever. They're not going to take, they haul him away so big, I'll be right there. I want to be that powerful example. I want to be able to be that leader and show the others that I'm willing to stand up for the Lord. Oh, but there's a problem. The problem is this. His courage and his convictions had not yet been tested. There's the problem. Jesus knows good intentions. Jesus knows convincing speeches at times are often just that. Words that fill the air and motivate, make you feel good. I'm, on, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. But when it comes following through on these things we have said, when it comes, we've saying, the old saying goes, when the rubber meets the road, uh-oh, we're weak and we're compromising and we don't carry through. Peter had a problem. He had a problem we all tend to have at times. When we make those convincing speeches or when we say, I'm, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that and make plans and everybody watch me, I'll carry it out. We have a problem. We uh, believe more in ourselves <laughs> than we do the Lord. That was Peter's problem. Peter in the back of his mind meant everything he said he would do. But he had more confidence in himself he had more confidence in his words than he did the words of the Son of God. It is a harsh lesson, isn't it? A harsh lesson is this, is when we in our lifetime, when we disappoint others that believe in us, when we've made those bold statements, when we've made, declared those things that we're going to carry out, and it does not happen. If we look back and think of all the people we have disappointed, but the most devastating thing is, is when we've disappointed ourselves. When we've let ourselves down. Peter did that. Why? Before that rooster crowed, what had he done? The very thing he said he would never do, he did. And read the rest of that 26th chapter. We'll begin with the 69th verse and read to the end. Now Peter was standing, sitting outside in the courtyard. And the servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus, the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And he went out to the entrance. Another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystander, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. 
Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed, and, people, and Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. This is Peter. This is what I say makes him so human. It says what? Wept bitterly. We would think of the terms he literally cried himself dry of tears. No telling, if we were to think about it for a moment, there's no telling how many times he said, I'm sorry. He lost count way out yonder somewhere because he just kept saying it over and over. You know that was part of what was going on through his mind. Constantly praying, constantly telling him, I'm sorry. Constantly just saying it over and over again. Look what I, 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 ne I, not, I never would have done this. I can't believe I've done it. He let his own self down. He is as low as he can possibly get. Versus the moment when it was so high in his life on the coast of Caesarea, what did he say? The words are recorded for eternity. You are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. That promise, that, he, that statement he made and that promise Christ made to him, he couldn't have got any higher in his life ever. It's eternal words. We read it every time we pick it up. This man said, you are the Christ. To go from that, to confess him that he is a Christ, to denying him, and say, I never knew the man. And if Matthew records it, we'll put it in our language, God curses, we cuss. <laughs> Let's just put it straight. He cursed. With an over saying, I don't know the man. Never heard of him. The question that must have entered his mind, known in the fact that he heard the rooster crow, the other writers tell us something else had happened. And you can imagine what this felt like. It said when he denied him for the third time and they were leading Christ out of the praetorium, it simply says Jesus turned and looked at him. Didn't say a word. Not a word. Just looked at him. The rooster crows and Peter knows what he's done. He's disappointed himself. He's let Peter down. He's let the others down. But most of all, for the moment, he realizes he has disappointed the Lord. Now his question is, what now? What's going to happen to me now? When all the tears have been flowed, when all the I'm sorry's have been repeated so many times that we say he lost count when the reality of all those actions really began to sink in, when the emotions finally drained, and Peter realized what he had done. What now? What now? What will the future hold? Let's look at two lessons from that scene. The first one is, when we've messed up, we, can, we need to know that the future can bring forgiveness. When you think about it for a moment, you look at Peter and you would simply say to yourself, how could Peter have messed up any more than he already has? He couldn't have done anything any worse than what he's already carried out. He's gone as far down as he can go. He realizes his loyalty, his love, 
his leadership now was gone. In his mind, he cannot be depended upon no more because he has done the very thing he said he never would do. He has done it. Makes you wonder what's going through the rest of their minds. He's lied. He knows it. He has denied. He knows it. He has survived all of this, but he has survived it at the expense of his integrity and at the expense of his soul. Failure, that sin that requires of us forgiveness. To remove that from our lives, Peter at this moment desperately, desperately needed it. He had prayed, we don't know how long. We find him weeping in the garden. All it says, he wept bitterly. And then how long that lasted, we're never told. It could have gone for hours. He needed it. There's an interesting thing to this story about this thing of forgiveness. It's interesting to notice when the angel appeared to the women in the recording of Mark in Mark 16 verse 7. The angel told them to go and tell of the resurrections to the disciples and Peter. Peter is specifically mentioned. Specifically mentioned to let him know And we fact we learn from Luke 24 that before Christ appears to the others, he appears to Peter a first by himself. Just the two of them. Peter was down. He hadn't really gotten over it. He's probably still walking around with his head down, still saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. What did I do that I'm sorry? He's down on himself. He is as low as he can possibly get. He has prayed to the Father of Heaven for forgiveness. He has prayed. He has wept. He's done everything he knows to do. He's really down on himself. He's ashamed of himself. He needs the Lord's forgiveness more than any other time in his life when he has done the wrong thing. Yeah, he's messed up before. Yes, Peter's been impulsive. If we would say about him, he stuck his foot in his mouth, as we all well know. But this is the worst of the worst. I need forgiveness. And Jesus knew that and came to him first to tell him, Peter, your prayers were answered. I heard, I'm sorry. I've heard your repentance. I have heard you beg for forgiveness. Peter, I come to you to simply tell you, I have forgiven you. I have forgiven you. Peter, hold your head up. Hold your head up. It is, it is behind you. I've let it go. It is the same with us. We are at, we at times when people talk to us and ask us how we're doing or when we ask them how they are doing, we will ask, well, how's it going these days? And the reply is, well, things seem to be looking up. Which really means is I'm not down as I was a while ago. Let me flip it around. We know what they mean. The truth really is and that's what Christ wanted Peter to understand when he appeared to him. Things that begin to look up only when we begin 
to look up. When we turn our eyes toward heaven, when we focus on Jesus as our Lord, our Savior, our hope, rather than our own depressing human weaknesses, the joy returns. We can be lifted up out of our depression, out of our despair, out of our dumps, as we call it. We learn from Peter. He got his forgiveness. You can almost hear him when the Lord appeared to him to let him know, I have forgiven you. That once the Lord left, you can almost hear Peter, He did forgive me. He did forgive me. It's over. It's behind me. I can, I can go onward. So you wonder again, what if Peter think? What now, Peter? What does the future hold? And this brings us to our second point. When we've messed up, we need to know that the future not only can bring forgiveness, but it also can bring fulfillment and fruitfulness. You see, when these events, when that event over, Peter is crying, he has said, I'm sorry. The Lord has appeared to him, telling him that you have been forgiven, Peter. It is over. Put it behind you. Lift up your eyes. Move forward. Don't stay in the dumps anymore. It's over. And put it behind you. When you look at these events, you wonder what Peter's going to do now. It's finally behind him. But what does Peter do? Peter goes back to what he knows to do. He goes back to his profession. He goes back to the Sea of Galilee to be a fisherman. He knows how to do that. That's what he was before the Lord called him three and a half years earlier. That's his profession. Why did he do that? Why would he go back to being what he had been before the Lord called him? Why would he go back through that profession? Well, it's obvious. Because he's thinking the same way we are at times. Whew, the Lord forgave me. I've got it behind me. I don't have to worry about it no more. But Lord, Peter's thinking to himself, I'm not worthy to be an apostle no more. I'm not worthy to be his disciple. So I'm taking myself off that road. I'll be a follower of Him. I love Him. I know Him to be the Savior. I know He's forgiven me. I'll follow Him all the days of my life, but it will be a background role. I'll let the others do what they need to do. They'll carry out what the Lord wants them to carry out. They'll proclaim the gospel of the world. I'll stand behind them. I'll be the home front. I'll be the cheerleader. I'll do whatever's necessary behind the scenes, but I am no longer worthy to be an apostle. I have messed up so badly. Even though the Lord has forgiven me, I'm going to have to scratch that off the list. I no longer am needed. I have messed up so bad, my influence is gone. The things I want to do, I cannot do now. When you think about it for a moment, we've all at times been that way. When we, like Peter, have messed up, when our lives have gone askew, as it were, and we have seek forgiveness, and we're begging the Lord to let it, help us let it go. Still thinking in the back of our minds, we've lost it. We may have been forgiven, but our influence is gone. Our influence for effectiveness is gone. The good that we want to accomplish is just not there. It's over with. No one will ever trust me again. I can't serve. I can't lead others. 
when I have shown myself unworthy of that trust. So we take this attitude. I love the Lord. I know He's forgiven me. He's promised me He would when I do what He asked me to ask for for that forgiveness. I'm not worthy to be what I once was, so I'll warm the pew. I'll sit in the background. I'll cheer the others on. I'll help them any way they can in the background, but leave me out of anything that requires somebody up front because I can't do it no more. It's over. It's over. So I'll warm the pew. I'm done. I can't do no more. This will never leave me. I will never outlive it. That is Peter. That is Peter. Ah, but something happens. John 21. We find a scene. The sopers on the Sea of Galilee, they've been fishing. Jesus tells them to cast out the net. They do. They catch such abundance, they like to break the nets. They like to suck the boat, so to speak. It was a simple reminder Christ is going to get across to them. Remember? Back when I called you, what did I tell you would become? Fishers of men. Don't forget that. Fishers of men. As he had told Peter, as he told them all, I've called you to be fishers to men. They sit down, as you know, for a meal together. As they sit there... Christ has a little private conversation with Peter. Three times he asked, the, uh, asked Peter, do you love me? The same amount of times he had denied him. The Lord says, do you love me, Peter? Peter says, yes, I do, Lord. I do love you. Three times the Savior said, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. What is he telling Peter? Peter, you've given up on yourself. You said basically to me by your actions, I'm not worthy to help you no more. I'm not worthy to become one of your people. I'm not worthy to proclaim this gospel. I'll stay behind. And the Lord's saying to Peter, feed my sheep. What was he telling him? Peter, I still need you. Do you not remember the promise I made to you on the coast of Caesarea? Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood had not revealed the confession unto him. But he said, but my Father in heaven, and you, what, you know, he promised him, you will have the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Peter had forgotten that. And he needed to be reminded that he was still to be fruitful. He still was to be needed. Well, we ask ourselves this question. Was Peter fruitful? And you know the answer. Whose sermon is recorded in Acts 2 out of the 12 apostles? The promise Christ paid to Peter. You will feed my sheep. Who preached the gospel to the first Gentiles? The apostle Peter. Who in his older life wrote two of the most beautiful books in the New Testament. The Apostle Peter. Yes, he would fail again. Yes, he'd fall on his face. He'd stick his foot in his mouth. That's Peter. That's why I love him so. He's just pure divine human. But yet, when we look at his older life, 
as he writes as an old man in them two beautiful epistles, as he reflects upon the many things that he witnessed and saw and heard, he writes about them. Was Peter fruitful? Yeah. We can truly say that he was. But again, we need to turn that over for a moment and ask ourselves this question. What would have happened if he had chosen to remain in the background? What would have happened if he had chosen not to go on serving the Lord? Decided to take that background role, says, Lord, I, don't, I know you want me to feed your sheep, I know, but no, Lord. No, 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 no. Forget it. I can't do it. I never will be able to. What then? What then? We know his remorse was real. We know his repentance was real. It paid for his forgiveness. It paid for the fruit in his life. But you look at that scene in John 21 and you ask yourself why Peter did not fail the Lord. The one thing that helps us all. The one thing that gets us through the down times of life. The one thing that gets us through day by day as we face the problems that we face every day as human beings. The one thing that keeps us having a life of fulfillment and fruitfulness. It is simply the love for our Savior. Peter loved Christ more than he loved anybody else in all of this world. Including his self-pity and including his pride. Peter, thank you for reminding us, for reminding us that we will find a future full of forgiveness, full of fulfillment, and full of fruitfulness if we just look at him and learn from him. But this evening, have you been unfaithful in the past have you done those things which you regret that you've done as a child of God? No doubt many would say, yes, I have. But Peter would tell you right quick in a hurry, that regret does not have to become a way of life. We've messed up. But look at Peter and remind ourselves of one thing. We can choose a brighter future. We can have a great life for the cause of the Christ if we simply rededicate ourselves, ask for his forgiveness, and move forward. This evening, if you're not a child of God, this day and hour is yours. This is the day begin that journey for the Lord. This day forward, your sins are forgiven. You now walk, you begin walking this evening on the pathway that leads to righteousness. That pathway will be held in the hand of God and of His Son who died for us. You'll come one of His precious children. From this day forward, as a child of His, when you do mess up, you know you can pray and ask for His forgiveness, and it will be given. While we stand and sing.